0: Chain of events, cause and effect. We analyse what went right and what went wrong, as we discover that many outcomes can be predicted, planned for and even prevented. I'm John Chidgy and this is Causality. Causality is part of the Engineered Network. To support our shows including this one, head over to our Patreon page and for other great shows, visit engineered.network today. The Concorde. The Concorde is a beautiful aeroplane and it was the world's first successful commercial airliner that was capable of travelling at supersonic speeds. Although many people forget that the Russian Tupolev Tu-144 was in fact the first supersonic jet airliner, but it was widely considered to be a failure due to constant failures and reliability issues. In its 102 flights and 181 hours of freight and passenger combined flight time, there were more than 200 individual failures, 80 occurred during flight, and they were serious enough to cancel or delay those flights. There were eight constructed, but they were in service only briefly, transporting 3,194 total passengers when the flights were cancelled. The Concorde was technically the second, but the only commercially successful supersonic commercial aeroplane. It had a maximum speed of Mark 2.04, which is 2,174 kilometres an hour, at a cruising altitude of 18 kilometres, or 60,000 feet. And at those speeds, they're travelling faster than a bullet. It sucked through 26,000 litres, or 6,900 gallons of fuel for every hour it was in the air. The fuselage expanded 200 millimetres due to the heat during flight, and it's exposed to negative 60 degrees Celsius, that's negative 76 degrees Fahrenheit, at cruising altitude. It had a maximum range of 6,667 kilometres or 4,143 miles. The word Concord means agreement, harmony or union, and its name comes from the fact that it was jointly created by the British Aerospace and Aerospatiale, starting in 1961 with a treaty signed in 1962 to fund its development between France and Britain. The first two prototypes began construction in 1965 and were shown to the public in 1969, but it wasn't until 1976, which is now 40 years ago, that the Concorde made its first commercial flight. Despite initial interest, the expense of running the planes meant that many pre-orders were cancelled, as the Boeing 747 jumbo jet that had been now flying for several years turned out to be the ultimate winner in terms of economy, and people wanted economy rather than speed. Hence, only 14 Concords were ever used for commercial flight, and the fleet was split between British Airways and Air France. In its lifetime, the Concorde visited many cities, with some having regular services to locations such as Rio de Janeiro, Sydney, Australia, Singapore and Dakar. However, in time, passenger volumes and noise complaints from some of those destination cities reduced the number of profitable routes until the only primary routes remained, and they were between New York and London or New York and Paris. The Concorde had flown for nearly a quarter century with a perfect safety record and was the safest airliner in the world at the time. The 25th of July in the year 2000 would change that record irrevocably beginning at 4:35 p.m. central european time, air france flight af4590, the airframe registration f-btsc began to taxi for takeoff from charles de gaulle airport bound for new york jfk. those aboard had spent a staggering 7000 pounds for each ticket. The Concorde, at that point, had made some 40,000 flights. It had accumulated 900,000 flying hours and no fatalities. When at cruising altitude, they'd be traveling at 2,200 kilometers an hour, and the trip to New York would take only three hours and 45 minutes. The captain on that flight was Christian Marty, and was somewhat of an adventurer. He was the first Frenchman in 1982 to windsurf across the Atlantic and at 54 years old was one of Air France's most experienced pilots. Although it had been identified in the plane's previous flight and was scheduled to be repaired shortly shortly afterwards, it was assessed as a non-critical fault. The captain insisted that engine number two's faulty reverse thruster be replaced during his pre-flight check. He didn't want to take any chances. And that delayed the departure time of this flight by about an hour whilst they did the replacement. When it was finally fully loaded, there were a total of 109 people on board, including passengers and crew. And when finally cleared for takeoff, at approximately 4.40pm local time, on 26R, the captain lined the plane up and set off, accelerating past 300 kilometres an hour, but at that time he was radioed by the control tower, who were reporting smoke and fire coming from the rear of his plane. By that time, they had reached 320 km per hour. Being past V1, they were now committed to take off. The plane needed 3,000 metres to stop from that speed, but only had 2,000 metres of runway remaining. At 4.43 and 15 seconds, the pilot knew he couldn't stop. He had to take off, knowing that there were flames coming from behind his plane, the heat from those flames was so intense onlookers on the ground below the Concorde as it struggled to take off, experienced minor blistering of their skin and slightly melted clothing. At 4.43 and 22 seconds, engine number two's fire alarm indicated and the flight engineer requested to shut down the engine. Three seconds later, the captain confirmed to the flight engineer to execute the engine fire procedure and the flight engineer subsequently shut off engine number two. At 4.43 and 30 seconds, the Concorde was only 30 metres above the ground, and without the extra thrust from all of the engines, it was struggling to gain altitude. The fire was so intense that the elevons used to control the attitude of the plane were being burned away, as the aluminium simply combusted at those high temperatures, leaving the plane nearly impossible to control. The Concorde was still too low to the ground, at only 60 metres elevation, and couldn't turn and try to return to Charles de Gaulle Airport. So the captain instead set course for the next nearest airport, which was actually directly in front of him, and at that point, only 3 kilometres away. But no longer able to maintain altitude, the Concorde was unable to reach it. The Concorde crashed into Hotelissimo Le Relais Blue Hotel, where people survived from the flames by jumping from second and third floor windows to the ground as the building also burned to the ground with the remains of the Concorde. It took fire crews three hours to get the fire under control. A hundred passengers boarded the plane. There were nine crew and four people died in the hotel on the ground for a total of 113 casualties from the incident. For a plane that was so advanced, a plane that had so much flight test time more than any other commercial plane in the world at that point, and for a plane that had a perfect spotless safety record, what on earth went wrong? Early theories centred around a terrorist bombing, with over a dozen articles of luggage found to have been on board that wasn't intended for that flight at all, and memories of Lockerbie still being fresh in people's minds, it was the first thing that they thought of. However, a critical examination of the audio recordings from the black box, aka the flight data recorder, eliminated bombing as a potential cause within a near few weeks. It took the investigators four weeks to tag and mark all of the debris before it was then moved to another airport's hangar building in order to prevent further damage from the elements to the evidence following the accident. The last minute engine repair was the next suggested cause on engines two thrust reverser. However, again, this was eliminated as a cause based on data from the flight data recorder. And according to the flight data recorder, problems began at precisely 323 km per hour with a sudden loss of power in both engines on the left wing, engines 1 and 2. V1 speed, as I mentioned before, was selected by the crew at takeoff at 150 knots, which is 278 km per hour speed over ground with no headwind. V1 is the speed at which you can no longer stop. The second speed is called speed, of ro- speed for rotation, or VR. That was set at 199 knots, and that is when the airplane should lift the nose, and that increases the cross sectional area of the wings to provide additional lift just prior to hitting V2, which is your takeoff speed. Following the crash, the investigators also inspected the runway, 26 right. And they discovered several large chunks of rubber, one of them weighing four and a half kilograms. They were identified as having come from the Concorde's tyres. Now, Concorde's tyres, like so many things about the Concorde, were very different from other airlines. They had to be inflated to higher pressures and they rotated at much, much higher speeds than on standard aircraft. And they took considerable impact force when they landed and hence had much shorter lifespans than other commercial airliners. Digging through the records, the investigators found that there were over 50 tyre bursts over the 24 years of service, with many occurring on takeoff. As the Concorde began to tilt its nose during takeoff, the amount of pressure on those rear tyres was extreme, so any weaknesses or undue stresses caused to the tyre would cause them to rupture. As the investigators continued to scour the runway for other clues, they discovered an unusual piece of metal. It was 43 centimeters or 17 inches long and it was discovered right near some of the rubber fragments. The component was a sharp-edged metal component with irregularly drilled holes that didn't initially appear to be precision-made frame components. The tyre pieces were reconstructed and there were clear markings on the tyre indicating that the metal strip had caused the tyre to rupture when it hit it at high speed. The strip was traced over five weeks to the originating aircraft. It was an engine cowling mounting on a DC-10, a continental flight that had taken off only minutes before the Concorde. The plane was physically tracked down in the US and the spot from the metal strip had come from was identified. The part was not manufactured or fitted to manufacturer specifications and had been made to replace an older DC-10 component. During design, the underwing aluminium was designed to withstand a one kilogram piece of tyre debris hitting it in the event of a tyre rupture. The piece of rubber was much larger than that, but still it didn't puncture the wing, quite possibly because of the larger surface area, but it placed a very large and deep dint in the aluminium construction of the wing now because the fuel tank is part of the wings and because liquid fuel in the tanks was so full the pressure wave formed and rippled through the tanks and that's because liquids are incompressible hence the pressure had nowhere to go and it found the weakest point in the fuel tank that was at the front section of the wing the tank blew outwards spilling fuel underneath the wing. 75 litres of fuel every second poured into the intakes of engines 1 and 2, but interestingly, that didn't start the fire. It actually had the effect of choking the engine's fresh air, which is required for the engine to function. Hence, the spark that created the fire had to come from somewhere else. The evidence suggests the final spark came from damaged power cables in the undercarriage bay Damaged by some of the tyre debris. Once the fire had started, it couldn't be stopped, and in 120 seconds, the Concorde went from debris impact to a smoking wreck. Since the investigation was completed, several organizations have continued to examine the evidence made available since they didn't believe the official verdict. The Concorde's maximum takeoff limit was 185 metric tons, however, Prior to takeoff, the Concorde registered at 186 metric tonnes. That's a full tonne over its limit. There were an additional 19 unwanted or unintended items of luggage that had been loaded onto the Concorde. And that added half of that weight. Heavy bags. With a miscalculation of how much fuel would be burned during taxiing due to a runway change... That accounted for the remainder of the additional weight. The Concorde was a plane that was built, designed on the limit. Everything had to be precise to ensure it would actually take off and fly safely. But not just that, in the time from taxiing to take off, the wind had gone from still and now had a tailwind of eight knots. With a tailwind, you have to go even faster in order to get off the ground. And that would have increased the required ground speed for takeoff, but the pressure of needing to take off, since they'd already been delayed for an hour, meant that they most likely decided not to recalculate their V1 or VR speeds. Now, had they done that, they might not have gone to rotate so quickly and try to take off so quickly. There were also other questions raised about shutting down engine number two before reaching 120 metres or 400 feet of altitude for which the Concorde never actually reached. The landing gear was also never raised and it's not clear whether the electrical damage that was assumed to have taken place would have prevented all of the landing gear from raising or whether it was an oversight in the chaos of the event. Deployed landing gear also made climbing more difficult. One final comment relates to the lack of a spacer in the main left landing gear which caused the Concorde to pull to the left during takeoff and this also reduced the takeoff speed clearly the maintenance of the Concorde could have been better with the m- missing spacer found in the workshop hangar following the incident it's possible that the pull to the left delayed the takeoff point but in addition the weight of the plane that had been unaccounted for and the unaccounted for tailwind all conspired to delay that takeoff point and fatefully the metal strip that would otherwise not have been hit. However, no matter how you choose to look at it, even if they didn't shut down the engine prematurely, could or did manage to raise the landing gear, gain more altitude and so on, none of these things would have put out the fire on the wing. The Elevons would still have burned through and even if they'd made it closer to the alternative airport, the delta wing design of the Concorde was difficult enough to control at low speeds it still would have been impossible to control without the second Elevon within the same time frame. Perhaps the pilot might have been able to land further away from a populated area, perhaps not. But there's just no doubt the Concorde would still have crashed. Something that's very interesting is stopping distances. The Concorde was not a large plane and couldn't carry many more than a 100 or so passengers, so, to compare and contrast that with a Boeing 747 800, that requires 9,400 feet or 2,870 meters of runway to land, with a maximum takeoff weight of 987,000 pounds, which is 450 metric tons. By contrast, the Concorde required 10,000 feet or 3,060 meters of runway, slightly more than a 747 800. And its maximum takeoff weight was 408,000 pounds or 185 metric tons, which is less than half. The delta wing design that allowed supersonic flight, weight restrictions, and design decisions meant that the wings had no flaps, no slats, or speed brakes. And that means that the only mechanisms to slow down the Concorde were the reverse thrusters from the engines, and they only worked at engine idle, and the mechanical disc brakes on the wheels. This meant the stopping distance for the aircraft was more than double that of a 747 based on momentum relatively. Now had those devices existed, the plane would have had a higher V1 speed and that would have had given them the opportunity to stop once the flames had been detected. Then again, fitting those items to a delta wing design is technically challenging. 3 weeks after the crash, all of the Concords were grounded. Tyres were redesigned to prevent falling apart at high speeds when impacted by sharp metal blades. Kevlar was used to line the fuel tanks to help prevent a rupture in future, and the electrical harnesses in the landing bay were redirected and reinforced. The remaining Concorde Global Fleet had then been retrofitted with all of these safety improvements, and the first return to service passenger flight for Concorde landed on the 11th of September 2001 immediately prior to the World Trade Center attacks that very same day, for which that date is better remembered. The bad press, a loss of public confidence in the Concorde, reduced air travel post 9-11, increasing fuel costs and increasing maintenance costs, all combined to reduce the patronage on the Concorde through increased ticket prices. And few people were prepared to pay them or take the risk of flying on a Concorde. In April of 2003, both Air France and British Airways announced that their fleets of Concords would exit service later that year. And on the 24th of October 2003, the last commercial flight of the Concorde took place, from New York to London Heathrow, with a final tally of 2.5 million passengers and over 50,000 individual flights. French authorities focused their attention on Continental Airlines being the source of the metal strip that set off the chain of events in March 2005. In March 2008, a deputy prosecutor requested manslaughter charges be brought against Continental Airlines employee John Taylor and his manager Stanley Ford, now identified as being directly responsible for fitting the replacement wear strip to the DC-10. The trial went for nearly the full duration of 2010 and Continental were found to be criminally responsible, fined $270,000 US dollars to the French government and a further €1 million euros to air France directly in damages. Taylor was the only person on trial handed down a sentence, which was suspended for 15 months. However, these convictions were overturned by a French appeals court in November 2012 clearing both Continental and Taylor of any criminal responsibility. The Concorde was and remains an amazing revolutionary piece of aviation technology. There has really been no other plane like it. And although I do think someday supersonic flight will occur again, it will still be a while before people will trust Because the design decisions that we have to make for a fixed delta wing design to make supersonic flight possible on a larger scale, those are design choices that come with restrictions and limitations. There's only so much we can do and the design of the aircrafts will always have compromises and hence the price will always be high, the risks will always be greater. Perhaps someday it can be as safe as a more conventional subsonic aircraft. But the Concorde was a plane ahead of its time and we can learn a lot from it in the next iteration of the design. Clearing off airport runways, making sure that they're clear. In this case, there was a five-minute window and no airport's going to be doing that because that would be too inefficient. So what ultimately do we learn from the Concorde? Was it just bad luck? Perhaps they should have had pressure relief valves in the fuel tanks. Perhaps they should have cancelled the flight and done the repair, ensured the mechanical spacer had been reinserted so improved maintenance procedures. Ultimately though, the Concorde's design was simply flawed The wings and the fuel tanks simply hadn't been protected well enough. And I have doubts whether the Kevlar would have in fact made much of a difference. The truth is, it was a tragic and terrible end to an otherwise flawless career as an aircraft. If you're enjoying Causality and want to support the show, you can. Like one of our backers, Chris Stone. He and many others are patrons of the show via Patreon. And you can find it at patreon.com slash johnchichi, all one word. So if you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, it's very much appreciated. This was Causality. I'm John Chiji. Thanks for listening.